0: This is the One Thing Podcast, and I'm your host, Dr. Adam Rindy. The One Thing Podcast brings together leaders in functional and naturopathic medicine to discuss actionable information that may unlock puzzles in the areas of gut health, brain health, metabolism, and longevity. Please note, these episodes do not replace the opinion of your doctor. They are not intended to diagnose or treat any condition. Please discuss this information with your provider and discuss your own unique personal health history before adapting this information. Please subscribe to our episodes so that you can stay on top of the most current information in these areas of medicine. Where do I start? How many times do we ask ourselves that question? Where do I even start this podcast when you arrive to a scene of a disaster and you have an explanation of what happened, where the problem originates, where the problem became untangled, then you know exactly where to start. You just go to the area of disruption or the area of the disaster. and You start cleaning up the mess. And over time, with a brief amount of investigation, you might find out that an oil tanker spilled or there was a fire related to the cause of the disaster. Well, there are people who are dealing with health problems where their body is acting in a way that feels like a disaster with no explanation. So day-to-day experience is that there's dysregulation, unpredictability, chaos in the body, and there's no known explanation. Think about the disruption that does to one's nervous system to have no sense of security, safety, explanation, closure with what's going on with what one's body. The population of patients who are dealing with conditions like postural orthostatic tachycardia syndrome, mast cell activation syndrome and disorders, and also hypermobility Ehlers-Danlos syndrome. These are people who are dealing with this experience on a daily basis. And of course, There's been solutions offered and treatments and suggestions that have helped them feel more stable, but often they still don't know why this is happening, what is the underlying reason, what's the root cause, what's going to make it flare, what's going to make it worse, what's going to make it better. This disrupts the nervous system to a degree that is an experience of unpredictability, an experience of danger, an experience of... Not knowing what's coming next and this is the theme of this podcast where do we start well I've been following this world of these disorders for a while now and if you're a longtime listener of this podcast you can know you know that there's been several episodes related to these conditions and I've often wondered when a patient that I work with is dealing with these conditions, is where should I start? Until I came across Amber Walker's work, I didn't have the clarity to realize how important it is to to consider starting with the nervous system and these disorders and stabilizing the nervous system. Oftentimes, this is a later conversation in the journey, and patients are turned towards limbic system balancing and vagal nerve balancing later on in their journey. I wanted to welcome on a guest who really puts nervous system balancing in the forefront of her work. This is a doctor of physical therapy, Amber Walker, who's written two gifts for all of us, for patients and practitioners alike. Amber is the author of Mast Cells. United, a holistic approach to mast cell activation syndrome that was published in 2019. She is also the author of the Trifecta Passport, Tools for Mast Cell Activation Syndrome, Postural Orthostatic Tachycardia Syndrome, and Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome. Her 2022 course, Conquering SIRS, is focused on healing from mold exposure, Amber has an amazing journey in this space, personally and professionally, and if you've read her books or followed her work, you can know that she is truly someone who has lived and practiced a way to help people heal from these disorders. I reached out to her because she really has a strong handle on stabilization of the nervous system and stabilization of these conditions. And I wanted to get her unique insight and flow when it comes to understanding how to approach neurostabilization. We had a delightful conversation and we are devoting this conversation to a charity that Amber feels passionate about called Project Mercy and stay tuned for more information about Project Mercy and... Then we'll start the podcast in session. Thank you so much again for tuning in to The One Thing Podcast. This episode is dedicated to Project Mercy. You can find their work at projectmercy.org. Project Mercy is an organization that Amber is very passionate about due to her work in Ethiopia. Their focus is on providing education, healthcare, food security, adult skills and infrastructure in Ethiopia. We will donate $1 for the first 100 plays of this podcast and contribute it in Amber's honor. If you feel like contributing as well, just go to projectmercy.org and make a donation online. Thank you so much and enjoy today's podcast. Amber, thank you for joining me today. Welcome to the One Thing Podcast.
1: Hi, thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. I appreciate it.
0: Yes, uh, it's great getting to know you a little bit more offline. Of course, like um, you've been so generous in sharing your journey through some of the books that you've written, and I felt like I knew you before even getting on the call with you. So it's just great to, to get to know you further. Um, I'd love to uh, just start off hearing about your life today, Um, your your journey with um, your life and your health has been well documented. And, you know, you write about it so eloquently in your books. Um, I'd love just kind of hear today, you know, kind of compare like, now, um, what your life is like today, and what you're up to on a daily basis to uh, previously,
1: yeah, absolutely. Well, I'll try to be concise about this because I could definitely ramble. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I, I've been very blessed to have this kind of full circle journey. And I think a lot of people can relate to this in their health experiences where you start out kind of ignoring a bunch of symptoms or pushing through, right? You're just kind of like in survival and pushing until the point where they're screaming at you. And then you become in this state of hypervigilance and uh, reactivity and kind of rock bottom place. And then thankfully I've been able to heal and I feel like I'm in a a great place of balance now. Um, And, you know, my story had a lot of labels and diagnoses. I think probably when I was in my thirties is when I really hit that rock bottom place. But I always kind of had weird health stuff going on growing up. Um, But really when I hit rock bottom, I couldn't work or function very well. I actually moved back in with my parents underwent a bunch of different um, IV therapies and different treatments medical treatments, um, for various things that were going on. And the, you know, muscle activation syndrome or MCAS was a part of it. POTS or dysautonomia. I had the hypermobility spectrum issues, the HEBS issues, Um, a bunch of other label, a bunch of other diagnoses, you know, hereditary angioedema was part of it. Um, I actually had some parathyroid tumors removed at one point, had Lyme and co-infection issues and all sorts of gut things, parasites and SIBO and Celiac, and you know the list goes on. It was like this resume that you don't really want to have of illnesses. Once you far, finally start to learn what's what's going on in your system, um, the chronic viral, bacterial issues, intracranial pressure issues, CSF leak. I was having a lot of anaphylaxis on the regular. Um, I had a bunch of misdiagnoses too, and I hear this a lot. Of my clients, a lot of autoimmune diseases that were misdiagnosed. So things like they were looking at MS for a while, rheumatoid arthritis, and Crohn's disease. Uh, and a, a plethora of fractures. I think I counted about 20 fractures I'd had over 15 years or so, so bone issues as well. Um, but basically, coming out of all of that, and it took several years, you know, it's never overnight, but w- with the help of some functional-minded practitioners in my own research, I was able to really go from that survival mode to thriving again, and I'm just so grateful that it's come full circle, and then I'm, I'm able to work again and I actually live abroad now. I go surfing every single day. I'm very physically active, and just feel that balance um, and that groundedness on a daily basis. And so I'm just very grateful that I am where I am, and, and that I, I've been able to reverse, you know, so much of this, and and come back to uh, just this this place. I think one of the things that I didn't really talk about in the books because I this has been an ongoing process since they were published is. Also the degree of nervous system work and trauma work and work on things like boundaries, emotional healing um, that's happened in my life. I think in the last couple of years, even and even just since moving to Mexico, I've been really lucky that I've I've seen a lot of progress and continued healing even beyond where I was. So I think that it's it's a journey, it's a process, it's never overnight. <laughs> but I'm grateful, yeah, grateful to be back to where I am today.
0: Yeah, I'm curious when you know you listed all the different, I guess, labels or assessments or diagnosis that you've had and then all the different treatments you've been through. Um, we we paint this picture as practitioners of, you know, this journey of peeling peeling an onion and, you know, sort of yeah. like it's this uh, you know, sort of really circular, uniform process of getting to the root cause, but in all actuality that the process of getting to a place where you're stable and better and healed um, is not as uh, uniform. Uh, I'm curious if you were to reorganize the process of you know kind of your discovery of like looking at what are the root causes um, compared to where you, you did start and where you would like would start today in that process. Um, where, how would you organize it today, knowing what you know now, as far as like the in this world of mast cell related disorders? Wh- where would you start now, knowing what you know?
1: Yeah, that is a great question. <clears throat> well, I think I would change the order and the focus of things quite a bit in my own journey now, kind of knowing what I know now. I think originally I did spend quite a bit of time on the mast cell piece, which is not that it's unimportant to stabilize mast cells or to focus on that. But I think, you know, ironically, yes, I did write a few books on the topic, but zooming out and stepping back as I have especially these last few years and, and looking much beyond the mast cell, because I think, uh, it goes much deeper than that. I think in my case, I really kind of hit like very specific. I sort of like did spot treatment of very specific things, uh, whether that was something for SIBO or whether I was, you know, doing a bunch of intensive treatment for Lyme disease. I did a lot of things that were kind of segmented. And now I think I would go back and probably bring in an overall focus on opening up detox and drainage pathways earlier on. The mold piece was huge for me. So that was big. But one of the things I also have learned through my own journey, as well as working with clients is that the nervous system work, I kind of put that at the end of my own journey. (laughs) I was kind of undervalued that to an extent. And it wasn't until I got deeper into that work that I realized how important that is as a baseline that everyone needs to have at the beginning from the get-go. Because if your nervous system isn't balanced and regulated, it's going to be hard for your body to give itself permission to detoxify and to focus on these other functions. It's going to be in that survival mode and it's it's not going to be as effective. So,
0: Yeah. And I think that's one of the things that really drew me to your work is just how much you, you're Even, you know, your professional training prepared you for knowledge in this area and then just how you've applied your knowledge about the nervous system um, to your own health and for your clients. Um, I would just be curious if with um, the nervous system, if we could sort of unpack this interface um, just from a big picture standpoint between the vagus nerve and this immune activation um, and some of the other core imbalances we're seeing in this population that you're caring for.
1: Yeah, absolutely. That's that's uh, kind of a loaded question, but <laughs> I think um, <laughs> it's there's a lot of overlap in these conditions, and you know, talk about the trifecta: MCAS, POTS, or dysautonomia, and HEDS or hypermobility spectrum disorders, depending on on who you're talking to, but. Um, then it's, it's easy to, there's a lot of overlap, I think with neural factors and with kind of the functional medicine and toxic burden angle that connect all of these pieces and, and explain it a little bit. But I think, you know, if we look at on a cellular level, our mass cells are part of this immune watchdog system and they're, they're really trying to help keep our body in the homeostasis, but also recognize if an invader, a foreign invader is threatening us or something like that. Um, then we have kind of the more central mechanisms with uh, our brain and even the hypothalamus and how that's kind of that master switchboard that's constantly scanning and checking things and helping tell different organs to release hormones and chemicals in response to what's going on with that kind of thermostat, so to speak. Um, and that definitely regulates our autonomic nervous response, system responses as well. So there's, there's a, you know, a lot of overlap in these different um cellular level, what's going on and creating this sort of, perfect storm of issues that can happen with people with this. But I think even zooming out systemically is really important here and looking at kind of I, I keep coming back to that toxic burden with people because I think that is so important in, in what happens with our autonomic nervous system regulation and looking at you know things that people are exposed to in utero coming out like from the get-go, already having things, you know, a lot of these clients I work with had things as infants and as young children. And beyond um, in the world we live in standard American diet, if that applies all the toxins that we're exposed to, you know, it's certainly easy to get overwhelmed learning about all of that stuff. And, but I do think it is relevant. And I do think that that, that is a common denominator for a lot of these, these patients who have these different labels or clusters of conditions that is kind of the glue holding it all together. So it's really important to get, use that root issue approach uh, to help people take down that systemic inflammation, but at the same time, do the nervous system work because the limbic activation is shifted in response to these triggers.
0: Yeah. It makes sense because if you think about um, just like a basic term, like danger, right. And that the body is equipped to respond to danger. And if there is these new contaminants or toxins or environmental triggers that, um, for the first time in, you know, years and years and years, our, um, our children and, and our communities are being exposed to more and more um, environmental exposures um, that the immune system would, you know, have a heightened danger response. And in some people... Um, <coughs> the same uh, two different people could have two different responses to those dangers. And some people, it's just a very heightened response. Mm-hmm. Um, so it makes sense that you've kind of zeroed in on that because it's like, uh, that's such a physical example of what, what our population is exposed to now that may have not been exposed to hundreds of years ago. Yeah.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think people are always wondering, too, how does collagen get impacted or what what does HEDS have to do within all of this, right? How does that piece, because, you know, it's a little bit easier to understand the connections with the mast cell piece and dysautonomia and what's going on there. But I think, too, again, if we come back to that toxic burden concept within the collagen, even we look at something like glycine versus glyphosate and how glyphosate mimics glycine and actually impacts the collagen and triggers wow. that almost auto-inflammatory response as an example of a toxin that has a direct impact on our connective tissue. And our collagen is part of that extracellular matrix, that kind of that space between everything where um, a lot of communications occur and a lot of important functions occur. So I think that, again, I, I keep coming back to that with people and is just this common denominator and that we really have to address that terrain whether it's the biofilm you really have to address that terrain to, to help people heal and I think that's that's very very important
0: yeah and it's you know it's so if the um, if we can sort of look at the nervous system in a sense that um, you know it's at its core you know a sensory organ um, processing the environment and helping us navigate and make decisions and communicate so <laughs> It's I, I like how you've talked over the years about how you, how to organize um, this, you know, this system, looking at the different branches of the vagus nerve mm-hmm. um, and you know, some of Porridge's work that's influenced your your practice. Can you kind of set that up for us so that we can kind of get more of a sense of like how the sensory organ might be uh, reacting to some of these um, triggers and how that what that downstream effect might look like? Yeah, absolutely. And
1: I think there's, there are some great resources, first of all, uh, on this topic. I'm not the the generator of of any of this. Uh, I highly recommend people learn about the polyvagal theory by Dr. Stephen Porges. And Deb Dana has some great books out there as well on that topic that does a deeper dive into it. Um, I think, first of all, if we zoom out even away from the vagus nerve, we have these five cranial nerves of social engagement. So I think for a lot of people, it is more than just the vagus nerve when when it comes to this neural work. So we have cranial nerves five and seven, nine, 10, and 11. Those are kind of the five cranial nerves of social engagement. And they impact all sorts of things and sort of have this interwoven um, communication, so to speak. And so it's it's important to keep that in mind if you are gonna be doing any neural work with, with people that it can go actually quite a bit deeper than the vagus nerve, but the vagus nerve is a big yeah. one, right? So it's basically goes from the brain to the gut with various branches along the way. And there's this front or ventral branch and this dorsal branch of the vagus nerve and um, different functions and pathways sort of light up depending on, on what's going on with the system. But with the vagus nerve, it's believed that there's three kinds of mechanisms that, that influence it, so to speak in the body and, and influence our neural regulation at the same time. And so Top down mechanisms would be something that stem more anatomically from something closer to the the brain or the cervical spine. So we could have some compression or inflammation on in the vagus nerve from something like uh, cranio-cervical instability. So issues with C1 and C2 for example, um, Chiari malformation is another one. Even that kind of intracranial pressure balance, extracellular fluid leaks so seem to impact quite a bit. People have had a history of concussion, a lot of my clients you know, kind of omit that from their history where they forget like, oh yeah, I did have a, either a, a traumatic brain injury or concussion way back in the day. That also seems to play a big role in, in our vagus nerve. And then, so that's kind of the top down way that we can see some, some physiological shifts in the function of that nerve. Then we also have the bottom up up concept. So where kind of the sensory nerve fibers in the gut are, we could also have a bottom up assault, so to speak, where we, maybe we have Um, SIBO or leaky gut going on or some kind of other inflammatory process in the gut, even um, overactive mast cell stuff going on in the gut. Um, Autoimmune type conditions are all considered to be part of that sort of bottom-up assault on the vagus nerve. And then there could also be Mm -hmm. more of a kind of full body assault of it where that's kind of more of a systemic level um, motor type neuritis is what they talk about that one with the literature where things like neurotoxins, heavy metals, Um, the presence of something like Lyme or co-infections, those can all have that more systemic influence on that, that nerve as well. So for most people, honestly, we don't spend a ton of time teasing out which is the main driver because they typically have sort of this perfect storm and they have various angles of this vagus nerve assault, so to speak, occurring at once. And so I think that, um, it's definitely too important to work on those root issues and to try and reduce systemic inflammation again, from more of that functional medicine lens, but then we also want to come up with a program to help the whole autonomic nervous system and these other cranial nerves of social, social engagement, um, just sort of re-regulate and heal.
0: Hmm. Yeah, and I think you know most people who are sort of diagnosed with these types of imbalances, um, you know, they the medications offered don't generally sort of address vagal tone, you know, it's, yeah. it's sort of downstream patches and symptom control. Um, is it, is it just that? Uh, well, I, I don't want to answer my own question because I kind of know the answer, but I want to ask you a question. <laughs> I don't know the answer of um, is, is it problematic to just start up with vagus nerve approaches and vagal nerve tone when someone's in this more dismantled state of inflammation and dysregulation is is it problematic or is it just sort of uh safe and effective mm-hmm.
1: that's a great question i think i see a lot of people who come to me and go oh i already went there and did that i tried that it went horribly or i i tried there's some really wonderful programs out there on the internet for example that are sort of um, follow along, whether they're DVDs or um, videos or something that teach you some exercises and some things to try. Um, I'm not against those programs, but I think for individuals who have been chronically unwell for a while and or who might have a trauma history, that they really want to work with somebody to have a customized approach that's trauma-informed. Because uh, a great example is a lot of people go, oh, like I've tried guided meditation or mindfulness, and it actually triggers me, it it makes me feel worse. Or I try breath work, and it really amps up my system, like breath work does not help me. When in theory, those things should help regulate that system into more of that ventral vagal tone or that place of uh, peace and joy and safety. So yeah, it's not this cookie cutter, you know, there's uh, these protocols or the concept of this, you know, one size fits all does not work for this type of work in my experience. And it really does need to be customized. And I think it's really important you brought that up because I think a lot of people just write it off because they had one bad experience too. And they're like, well, I already tried that stuff and it just doesn't work for me. And, you know, I think working with somebody who is with you in real time to kind of gauge your history, what's worked for you in the past, some of the patterns and to use that to come up with a plan that's customized to you is very, very important. So,
0: Yeah. Yeah. I always like to approach these kind of physiologic and uh, psychologic or kind of holistic imbalances with thinking about safe, how to create safety, you know, and it's, I love how you point out in your, in your book about when that vagus nerve is in tone. It's like, uh, this is when people are behaving as if they're safe and feeling safe. So there's, better eye contact, Mm -hmm. the voice is, um, has a different tone to it. And if that's the vision to help people get back to their, um, that kind of tone or to spend more time in that place, I think it's, it's good, you know, that we sort of, like you said, customize, uh, per each person where to start. Um, so, um, one of the things I've heard you talk about is that there are safer ways to enter um, vagal tone or to to approach vagal tone than others. Can you share some of the things you do um, that you feel like for people maybe who have a trauma background or people who might get extremely triggered if you know we start going into um, deeper nervous system disruptions, um, where, where are some safer ways to start?
1: Yeah, I would say I kind of have a four-part approach with this kind of work, uh, typically when I'm working one-on-one with somebody, and I think, well, maybe even five if we count kind of the education at the beginning. So some people aren't familiar with the polyvagal theory, and sometimes we start with just identifying um, the different nervous states that can occur, so people can engage in this concept of neuroception or sort of this understanding of where they're at on this spectrum of nervous system responses that can occur. So even just breaking it down to the basics at first can be really helpful and and understanding not what this looks like in theory, but what does this look like in your body? Like how does this manifest and show up with you and your physical symptoms, your emotional, mental health, et cetera. So kind of recognizing the ventral vagal tone, that desired zone of safety, but also what does that sympathetic chain activity look like for you? And most people are pretty familiar with what fight or fight looks like. I mean, it's pretty in your face and obvious when it's going on. But I think the more complicated one is when somebody's in that dorsal pathway where they're more in that sort of frozen place. And, and sometimes it's not just... Um, it's not super obvious and people can be in freeze for a very long time without realizing it. And it might just be more of a state of indifference or lethargy or brain fog even, or, or some of these other physical ways it can manifest. I think a lot of times in the conversations I have with clients there, they have aha moments. The light bulbs go off at the beginning about like, Oh, that's what that is. and And recognizing things that they're already doing subconsciously to help their system shift or try to get out of those zones a little bit. Um, looking at the the existing toolbox. What are you already doing that's working? What's not working? And then from there, we can build a customized approach. And, um, you know, I think it can feel pretty helpless if you're stuck in one of those zones or if you're continually dropping into fight or flight or freeze. But um, just helping people recognize when they're there without judgment (laughs) associated with that because it's easy to be hard on ourselves also. Um, And to kind of step back and observe that, those patterns, but then to slowly explore exercises. Now I, I really like to start kind of with a somatic approach to this more than a meditation, mindfulness uh, and mm-hmm. breath work is technically somatic, but I think those strategies for me, I don't see them work as powerfully as some really simple things. And, and the idea is to really come up with a toolbox in my work where people have not a million things of homework to try, but two or three things that they really like that consistently work that they can employ anywhere. So whether they're in public, whether they're at home, um, something that they can do for even like 20 seconds, 30 seconds to help regulate that ventral vagal tone a little bit better and, and shift the nervous system up that ladder, um, that can be really powerful. And I think sometimes people write this this work off or they, they think it sounds too simplistic, uh, but if you slow down enough to really get into this process, it's amazing what can happen. Um, and I think that starting out with a conscious approach and, and recognizing when you're shifting And doing something to counteract that or or help ground the system is helpful. And over time, it becomes less of a conscious thing that you need to do or less of an exercise, so to speak, as your body naturally will start to bring in those tools without you even thinking about it. Uh, But I think that can be a really helpful first step, that customized approach. And then I really like to utilize something called the Safe and Sound Protocol. So. This is an auditory program and there's a couple different playlists or options to choose from, but essentially the one that's been studied the most, the core program uh, delivers different frequencies and tones embedded into music that you listen to. And it's about five hours of music spread out over several different sessions. And I find that to be very helpful for people in retraining the middle ear muscles as part of those five cranial nerves of social engagement. So we have our tensor tympani and our stapedius muscles. And when we've been through any sort of trauma, whether it's, Big T or little T trauma, whether um, you know it's something that happened recently or a long time ago, uh, a lot of times these middle ear muscles recalibrate and shift and they make us more in tune with cues around us that put us in a hypervigilant state. So these our ear muscles are straining to hear background noise because they want to keep us safe. They don't want us to get snuck up on. And so over time, obviously, like the body means well in, in having these mechanisms, but over time, that's detrimental to us because it's harder for us to engage in conversation with others and hear others. You know, like difficulty hearing somebody talk in a crowded room. That that alone could be a sign that maybe there's a little bit of dysregulation there. And so, I like the SSP because it's not just the vagus nerve that it's working on, but it kind of expands a little bit more into those cranial nerves of social engagement to help help the system get kind of the reset button in those areas so that it can rest in a place of safety. And like we talked about earlier, if you can rest more percentage of the day in a place of safety, we're not expecting perfection here. Nobody's going to be a yeah. real tone all day, every day. Yeah. Um, I mean, if we we step out on the street and a bus is coming and we need to move, we definitely want those systems to still be able to kick in. But uh, as a whole, I think, yeah, it's starting to do that. That kind of work um, can be profoundly helpful for shifting the system to a place where then digestion gets better, sleep gets better, I have a lot of clients who their vision actually substantially improves through this auditory therapy. Um, just the the body's ability to detoxify things as we start to do more functional medicine work is is really enhanced. So when I first started this work, I, you know, kind of kind of like my own personal journey, I would like talk to people about it and we'd eventually do it, but I didn't really push it up front as much. Now I really encourage it, almost day one. Because if we can get this foundation, this baseline, even if you're still living in mold, or even if you're still having some of these triggers around, if we can try to start this work, it really impacts the, I would say the rate of healing.
0: I love that. Yeah, I, I think um, as a practitioner, uh, it it used to be, I mean, and it's it's changing, that I knew when my patient was ready for the vagal nerve work, yeah. that we had done a great job getting them to a good place. Like yeah. when they they initiated that readiness, or mm-hmm. when it became clear that they're ready. And now I'm realizing that um, it's like you said, so important early on mm-hmm. uh, versus sort of waiting for this moment where yeah. the you know the sea parts for for this deeper work. But yeah. um, I really also like that you have this other modality, like the safe sound protocol, because I think for so many people that, that have had nervous system dysregulation, whether it's, you know, they you can label it anxiety or uh, trauma or complex trauma or PTSD, whatever you want to call it, um, that feeds into this vagal nerve dysfunction. For so many people, um, it's scary to even do exercises that make them feel better because mm-hmm. um, they've lost the connection to their body. Yes. And, and uh, that kind of brings up anxiety and,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and, and, it's, and sometimes it's good to have modalities that sort of just take the lead for you. Mm-hmm. Um, and more kind of, they, they would call them, they call them passive modalities, but I actually think they're more active modalities. Mm-hmm. Um, can you comment on that? Uh, if that's been your experience with people?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think there's certain individuals who will feel sort of paradoxically triggered by signals of safety. And that's why this, this especially yeah. for those cases, customized working with a practitioner who could recognize that and you can help. Uh, I've yet to find somebody who wouldn't tolerate any approach. You know, there, there's always something that's going to help them feel safe without triggering reaction if we explore enough options, but it can be a little bit of trial and error just as some of these things, like with the muscle work, there's some trial and error to find the right fit. And so I think it requires patience on everyone's part. And, um, again, that zooming out that neuroception without judgment, not getting frustrated with yourself. if like, Oh, this, this makes me feel worse, but it helps everybody else. Like that kind of a mindset it's, it's really easy to fall into. It's, it's easy to get frustrated with this. And so, yeah, it's very, yeah. very important to, to recognize that, um, that there's no, like I said, there's no one size fits all for this and that it does have to be really customized. And I think you, you brought up a moment ago, you know, kind of how you've thought in the past about when to integrate this and waiting for that moment. And I think there are certain cases where people are in such a toxic environment that this kind of work is much less effective. And so there are certain cases yeah. where I will go, okay, until we're kind of, until you can breathe and that we can be in a little bit different space, I'm not going to integrate this. So I have had cases where people were in really moldy environments, for example, or maybe the toxin was coming from a human and there was some boundary work and some emotional healing that had to happen for that person to be able to start to do this work. That's all very relevant and important too. And so that's something that, it, you know, I like to refer out a lot for, I obviously um, by, by nature, by training, um, don't have a ton of a um, background in terms of the mental health side of things, but it is important to have those conversations with somebody and to, Really have a trauma-informed practitioner who can help you work on your identity because a lot of us have this identity with illness that goes deeper, and, and we need to do some work on that to let it go and to heal. We need to do work on boundaries, on relationships. Um, it's amazing how much unhealthy relationships can impact our physical health. Um, even just that hyper vigilance and that ability to sh- to shed layers to release control. That's really powerful in this nervous system work, and so starting to have these conversations with somebody—it's—it's—it's got to be done with finesse because I think a lot of clients are have been gaslit for so long, and they have a lot of medical trauma that they're bringing to the table, and mm-hmm. so it's really important to recognize that to validate them and their lived their experience. I think some people are really hesitant to do any nervous system work at all, even just the word nervous system. As, as you're talking to them, they—they they immediately kind of push back, like. Like you're implying that this is in their head but it's it's, it's the opposite right? <laughs> it's that the body's right. physiological mechanisms are in this limbic kind of loop that's kind of struck, stuck and so um it's very very important to have those conversations so that that clients and, or patients understand what's the goal here and what are we trying to say with all of this verbiage <laughs> right um so that they yeah. realize the importance of this and, and and energy work is really important i mean i think a lot of individuals who are dealing with these conditions are empathic in nature and are really influenced by their environment emotionally too. And so all of this kind of plays a role and is really important to work on. And and I think also one of the other things I like to utilize is actually some desensitization programs uh, and and things you can do with tuning forks. So there's some other types of sensory modalities that you can utilize uh, to help the body kind of shift and heal a little bit deeper on this neural level and I think that's that's really important in all of this, and as well as helping people find yeah. their way back to something that really grounds them and brings them joy that that's, has nothing to do with healing. So uh, for me, that was surfing, you know, <laughs> I think just being on mm. a surfboard, uh, there's something healing about the ocean, about the energy, about water, oh, me, yeah. about barefoot grounding as I'm walking into the ocean, all of that, right? You're, it's like a seated meditation on a surfboard half the time, you know, depending on the day. Uh, yeah. I think that's one thing I also really like to work into this, these conversations with clients is what's your surfing? Like, what is that for you? And I think for people it's almost Mm. first to even go there because they have been homebound or, or really severely disabled for so long that it's, it's hard to like let yourself dream and hope about those things again, or to bring anything into the daily routine that involves that. So yeah, it's obviously very complicated. There's a lot of angles that are important in this. Um,
0: yeah, yeah. When I think about surfing, like that is such the state of ultimate trust. Yeah, you know when, and, and uh, you know kind of oneness with nature and oneness with yourself and your the creator. And you know, it's like, I mean, yeah, I, I like that you try to find what the surfing is and their life because, you know, not everybody is going to go jump in the ocean, but uh, we all have our own ocean where we feel that flow.
1: Exactly. I was just going to use the word flow. That's exactly it. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Yeah, I love that. That's such a, such a powerful concept. Um, And I I don't want to give the impression. um, I think I've sort of given the impression that um, there's certain things that are not put in place in these early days or these kind of this destabilization process. Cause you're, you're very clear that you, you're a big believer in stabilization therapies and, you know, that people shouldn't just be struggling with all these symptoms of, um, whether it's edema or blood pressure, um, drops or palpitations or, you know, um, mast cell reactions and, uh, digestive issues, Um, you you really believe in, you know, like there are therapies out there that get those on board and get people stable um, while we're working on this other stuff. Is that right?
1: Absolutely. Yeah. I think a blend of of both worlds is really important when we look at mainstream versus natural medicine and that many people really need that first foundational level, whether that's medication induced or something else to heal. I mean, you look at POTS management, a lot of the advice out there is, um, drinking tons of fluids, salt, compression socks, medications. I'm not against all that stuff by any means, especially if that can help people be upright more, moving a little bit more because exercise influences how we do talks. There's all these angles, right? So it's it's never black and white. I think the the thing that is hard to watch is if people just do that, but they don't pursue any healing of the root issues. And that's, you know, I think like the next phase or the next level is once things are a little bit more stable. So it's not just pushing through and no pain, no gain. It's really the opposite it's being intuitive it's honoring what your body's telling you going at the pace that your body's telling you even though it can be frustrating at times if you want to go a little faster but that's the art of healing (laughs) right
0: yeah yeah i mean i think it's also really clearly described in trauma work that um there's there's phases of stabilization and phases of destabilization um and that we need to be intentional about those because you know some people, some people might go off to this concert, this conference, and learn how to give like EMDR or something, and come back and start giving these techniques or using these techniques on their clients or patients, and then they're destabilizing mm-hmm. um, the system versus creating safety and creating um, trust and creating and really understanding the bigger pieces and the whole story and getting getting your patient or helping your patient or client feel better at least and feel more stable then maybe do some destabilization work which is more kind of that core work and you know some of the harder stuff um more challenging stuff that's going to push a little bit on the body to heal um yeah so i think it, it it's so important to, you know to to have those two modes and be really intentional about when is the right time
1: yes absolutely and i think that's When you look at the same thing, exact same thing applies to detox work too, in terms of looking at even just the mold piece and some practitioners who might just start throwing a ton of stuff at people without maybe looking at stepping back for a minute before you start to do a ton of binders or some of this other work. Because I think a lot of people just go straight to that stuff and in the wrong dose, and then they have horrible experiences. And again, they kind of write that off as well. When If you kind of approach it with a gentle finesse, and working at preparing the system to handle that, preparing the the detox and drainage pathways a little bit more and building rapport. Like you talked about building that trust up with that person in those things as well, that I'm not just going to throw a million supplements at you and, and hope for the best, which I think is a lot of people with MCAS, especially they've gone to natural practitioners and had that experience and gotten frustrated because that person didn't kind of layer things and, and try things in maybe the manner that was better for their body. So I think that's very important, kind of that, that building up that trust in the process before going deeper, whether it's coming, whether we're talking about nervous system work, whether we're talking about detox or anything else.
0: Yeah, excellent. Yeah, I really want to get something off my chest about this, uh, this world that we're talking about. Um, There's sort of this misconception, I think, in people who are dealing with um, whether it's the trifecta or kind of related issues is that, you know, that they're just, uh, I don't know. It's almost like there's this misconception about, um, how strong or how durable or resilient these folks are. And I just want to say like in my patient practice, like I can see the faces of the people I've worked with. This is the strongest group of people I have ever dealt with. Um, most authentic, strongest, most vulnerable, um, you know just most willing to just dig in and and do the work group of people um that truly is inspirational to me i just want to kind of i mean i know that you've been in this world personally and professionally but i just i want to hear that from you as well because i am just i am always sharing like how how uh with people that you know this is kind of like the real ninjas of the world are yeah. are um you know, we're talking about here.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I've, I don't think I've ever met more resilient humans than I have in the last several years in this work. Um, It's very, it's very humbling at time and it's, it's an interesting concept, but I've started to learn about myself and my own health and, and some of my clients as well is that certain personality types more than others are going to be more that type A person that puts a lot of pressure on themselves and that um, kind of goes through healing with um, their checklist and their spreadsheet and their all of the things that they want to try. And sometimes they're almost like pushing too hard and trying to do too much. And you kind of have to pull the reins back from them a little yeah. bit and go, we've got to slow this down a little bit. Um, and so I think there's, there are certainly different types of, of clients and how they approach healing, but I think it's, with that type of a person, especially it's, it's important to help them lean on their own intuition, but also take a step back and, and work on that piece of surrendering a little bit and, and faith in the process. And that's, uh, that can be really challenging when somebody has been unwell for such a long time. Um, so it's, it's, you know, that resilience is, is a blessing and a curse in some ways, but finding a way to recognize their own inner strength, showing them compassion, validating their lived experiences. um, And then also helping them do some of the, eventually as, as trust builds, some of that deeper work is, is all really important.
0: Yeah. I'm glad you balanced what I said more, because I want to add to that um, because I think in, um, gorgeous work and some of the vagal word work there's this concept of fawning um where a fawning behavior um, is talked about as sort of a, a vagal imbalance behavior where um you know we be term, become people pleasers and you know we 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 want to be we want to love and be loved um for the av- avoidance of you know um pain or avoidance of rejection or there's lots of ways to unpack it but that's one of the things I, I think is really important I'm glad that you balance what I said is that to help our patients have a place where they don't have to feel like they have to be perfect and they can mm-hmm. they can take off the mask and they can feel safe and loved and accepted um, even if you know they're not feeling like being resilient and they're not you know it's it's not about impressing the practitioner or you know being a good good little patient or anything like that. It's, it's about like, let's get to the heart of, you know, the matter and, you know, support you, um, and, and take away the, that kind of response to fawn. I, I, encourage people to, to research and learn about the fawning behavior. Cause I think it's off people's radar.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. I think that's, that's definitely a commonality I see with a lot of the people I work with. And that very much plays a role in this nervous system work and beyond, that's very important. And just helping that coming back to the concept of like pushing through power and through symptoms, then the hyper-vigilance, and then coming full circle to this balance. It's finding the balance, right? So I think um it's it requires some surrendering and letting go of control to get to that point. And in a world where everything feels out of control, that can be very scary. And so it's really just moving right. people where they are. Um and And again, customizing it to their, their lived experiences and where they're at today.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I think if anybody's listened to this and they're wondering, well, what's this have to do with histamine or have to do with cortisol or have to do with, you know, with uh, my gut, well, everything, but um, (laughs) I think learning, you really unpack that well in, in your, in the two books that you've written. And, um, you know, I think, it's it's so interrelated um the way the brain and gut interacts the way the immune system and gut interacts the way the um histamine responds to cortisol and stress responses so i think uh just understanding that in the context um you can always weave that in with uh, learning further through your books um so i, I want to make sure that i stay on time with you here today and i i want to kind of leave the the rest of our conversation, just to kind of hear about um, some of the work that you're doing right now and ways people can get involved with uh, learning from you or um, working with you. I did see you have uh, three different options of, for people to work with you. um, And I would just like to hear more about that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well, I am still offering one-on-one consultations. There is a bit of a wait for that, but that is an option and there's information on my website about how to get set up as a new client there. I recently started seeing people in person down here in Mexico. So if you are an individual who has the stability to travel, there is that option. There are a couple of things I really like to integrate that are just tough to do via telehealth. One of those is something called craniobiotic technique, which is the stimulation of these different neurovascular reflex points in the body. It is a muscle testing type technique that helps us determine what is the body trying to tell us or signal us is kind of the biggest root issue for all this inflammation. And so you can actually um, utilize different points on the head and in conjunction with some of these torso points and the um, energetic balancing of things to help the body kind of lock into that and heal it without the need for as many supplements and things like that. So for a lot of my sensitive individuals, that hands-on technique can be really helpful and it's not something that has to be repeated all the time, thankfully. So it's Uh, Usually a week down here is pretty sufficient. We can get going on that type of work. Um, So I encourage if people are interested, there's also information on my website about that process. And then I'm going to be starting up some groups this year, which will be fun. So there'll be some virtual group options as well that'll be popping up there pretty soon. I'd um, really like to continue to try and and educate and research and perhaps publish another book this year. We'll see if I manifest that one. (laughs) Um, But I also do have a course out. So for those listening who want to learn a little bit more about Sears, which is that chronic inflammatory response syndrome from mold, that's one of my passion areas. So I do have a course out on mold and kind of healing from mold illness as well. That's another way to learn more.
0: Excellent. And uh, just any kind of closing thoughts that you would like to leave us with?
1: Yeah, well, I think... It's always good to zoom out. So if you find that you have tunnel vision on the mast cells or on one particular label or diagnosis you've been given, um, don't ignore that. But also I think zoom out a little bit and look at the whole big picture because that'll help uh, tremendously. I think we, I mean we talked about so much already with the nervous system and just the importance of that, but starting there and not waiting or starting there as soon as you can as your system feels like it's in a somewhat stable baseline can be really helpful. Um, the importance of just opening up drainage and detox pathway first and working with a practitioner who can help you slowly work on the toxic burden, prioritizing biotoxins. I'm a big proponent of that for sure. Um, and also maybe just kind of circling back to the importance of the inner work and the stuff I've discovered personally in the more last you know couple of years or so of the emotional healing and, and trauma kind of some work on the trauma and boundaries and all of those things. Uh, it's when, the way I look at it now that, I mean, that might be way more powerful than any cell stabilizer, any toxin binder, anything else we're doing on the functional side of things is, wow. that work is tremendously important and certainly needs to be guided with somebody who can help you with that in most cases. But I think that that's, that's something that is, uh, not valued enough, probably in this world. So, um, but the, the ultimate takeaway is, you know, healing of these conditions is possible. Reversal of these symptoms is possible. I think a lot of people get triggered when they hear that for, for different reasons, or they don't like to hear that, or they want to blame a lot on genetics. But this environmental angle is, plays such a huge role in healing. And so um, I see it, you know, I see it every day that it is possible to yeah. reverse and to consider yourself like myself. That I don't have POTS anymore. I don't believe myself to have MCAS anymore. You know, I rarely have a flare and hypermobility issues. So even the collagen stuff, I think once you lower that toxic burden and help the body start to heal in other ways, it can be very powerful for everything. So yes, please um, have a message of hope here because it is very, very possible to go back to thriving in, in terms of addressing this area.
0: Thank you. Yeah, that's so wonderful. And I just want to um, emphasize to people um, that jumping into this world of naturopathic, functional, physical therapy, these therapies as soon as possible when you've been in this world and not wait until, um, you know, sort of desperation Mm -hmm. um, and grabbing, uh, you know, hold of some of the um, information that Uh, Amper's written I think is such a great um, guideline because it's researched and it's solid and it comes from experience versus you know sort of pulling a bunch of different posts offline just to have like a really good solid foundation to start with Um, we're we're just I'm just so grateful that you've done such such good work and we have a resource um, for people to start with because Um, you know, they won't have to struggle as much as people in the past.
1: Thank you very much. I appreciate that. And I hope they are helpful resources.
0: Yeah. Excellent. Well, thank you for your time.
1: Yeah. Thank you so much, Adam. It's been great chatting with you.
0: Yeah. Same here. Take care. Thank you so much for tuning into this week's episode of the one thing podcast. Please share these episodes with your friends, loved ones, colleagues, patients, healthcare providers, anyone who you feel might benefit from hearing these informative interviews. We tend to learn best from people sharing things with us. That's often the first time it's introduced. So don't hesitate if these the content of these episodes reminded you of someone that might benefit from that. For the, the episode to them and I'm sure they'll either appreciate it or be appreciative that you've thought of them. So once again, we'll look forward to seeing you next episode on the One Thing Podcast. And again, much appreciation for you being here with me.